Welcome to the NutraCast, a production by Nutra Ingredients USA. I'm Danielle Masterson. Thank you for joining me here on the NutraCast, where we talk and share insights from inside the nutrition industry. The Detox Project is a research and certification platform that set up a glyphosate residue-free certification that aims to educate consumers about the dangers of this chemical entering the food and nutraceutical supply. The Detox Project recently released their first ever data on the glyphosate residue-free certification market. Here to share this year's Q2 data is the director of the Detox Project. Joining me now from Bulgaria is Henry Rollins. Welcome to the NutriCast, Henry. Hi, thank you very much for having me. What can you tell us about your second quarter results? Sure. So we've been going now for just over two years as a certification. So it's quite a new certification. Uh, we started in late 2017. And we just started working with the data company Spins from the end of last year, so end of 2019. So we're, we're really happy to be able to work with Spins on looking at the data for the certification. The first results that we released were Q2 data from this year, which showed that glyphosate residue-free certification has now hit the $200 million market size and has grown about 58% year on year. So it's amazing to see the sudden explosion of interest in glyphosate residue-free over the period 2019 2020. And this, this data now will be continually tracking and continually releasing results from each quarter, which will obviously be interesting to the, the food and supplement industry as a whole. Absolutely. So that's a huge jump. I read that it's one of the fastest growing certifications in North America. Why do you think this is so? I think there's been a huge amount of interest for two reasons. One is the World Health Organization classification of glyphosate-based herbicide in 2015-2016 when uh, they announced for the first time uh, that they believe that glyphosate is a probable human carcinogen, which means that they think it probably causes cancer. So that's when the interest started for the general public and also for food and supplement brands. And it's grown since and in 2018, when the initial lawsuit results in, in certain jurisdictions in California started to come out regarding glyphosate causing non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, then there was a massive new increase in awareness surrounding the chemical, but also surrounding the dangers of the chemical being contained in food and supplement products. So Biomonsanto has, as many, many people have seen, just agreed to pay out a huge sum of money to those sufferers of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma who have used their uh, Roundup weed killer, which is glyphosate-based, of $10.9 billion, which may be set to increase as well. So around the two, those two features, which is the World Health Organization's um, International Agency for Research on Cancers classification, plus this whole legal affair surrounding Roundup, everyone has suddenly become aware. And just to give you an example of this, we probably uh, in 2015-16, when we started talking to food brands and consumers, hardly anyone even knew what glyphosate was at all. So there's been a vast increase in knowledge and uh, transfer of knowledge from the scientific and legal worlds into the consumer and, and food and supplement brands in a very short period of time, which we're trying to use to educate more people through the certification. 
Yeah, it is a very unfortunate circumstance, but perhaps the silver lining is the fact that people are now more aware of the whole Monsanto Roundup weed killer situation and are on the lookout for that in their products. Um, You've had your eye on glyphosate in food and supplements for a few years now, and you mentioned the World Health Organization and some of their studies. What does research tell us so far? Sure. So the reason, or at least the main reason, that glyphosate has been used so widely over the past 25 years is the introduction of GM crops, which are, I think, 70 to 80% of which are designed to be grown with glyphosate-based weed killers. There's been a, a huge increase in use. And actually, strangely enough, just before that increase, so in the late 1980s, the EPA, the US EPA, classified glyphosate as a possible carcinogen. So so they actually classified it as possibly causing cancer all the way back in 1985. That classification was changed by the EPA based on very little science in 1989, just before GMOs were introduced, to calling it a non-carcinogen. So they actually reclassified to many people's shock at that time due to not being carcinogenic and not causing any severe health issues. So there was then a 25-year period of very little long-term safety studies being done into glyphosate. Most were very short-term studies. And so there was a study back in 2012, which was from Europe, which was basically concentrated on glyphosate as being an, an issue for carcinogenicity and toxicity. And some other smaller studies were coming out around that time to concentrate on the health effects again after almost a 20 year gap of very little independent science being done on glyphosate. And then that culminated in the 2015 World Health Organization, IARC, a classification, uh, which was based on some of those more recent uh, independent studies, plus some of the industry studies that had been kept secret up until that stage. And so uh, things changed very quickly. And, and now there's a very strong independent scientific concentration on this chemical at last. And there's something at the moment being done called the Global Glyphosate Study, which is being led by a group called the Ramazzini Institute in Italy and also the Mount Sinai School of Medicine in New York to have a look in depth comprehensively at glyphosate and the dangers to to health so some initial results have been coming out but but we're waiting for more comprehensive independent science so that we can get an even fuller picture of the possible dangers to health being caused by the chemical there is still so much to uncover so you mentioned the fda reversed that classification there's a gap in science there's also been some discrepancies in some of these studies some Studies are saying, yes, it's a carcinogen. Others are saying it's not. You mentioned the secret studies. How much does politics play a role in all of this? Sadly, a huge amount. We've seen this in European politics recently, where some countries have come out very strongly against glyphosate, like France, which has actually called for a total phase out of the use of glyphosate-based herbicides by 2023. And also some, some other smaller countries in the EU have been doing similar things. But they still 
at a European level, actually reclassified glyphosate or renewed the license of glyphosate for a period of five years back in 2017. So there's a, a new fight coming up on the political front with glyphosate in, the, in a couple of years in Europe. The EPA in the US and also the Australian New Zealand regulators have all come out in support of glyphosate. Some of that has actually been focused on in the legal fight um, for um, some people who have been affected and by Roundup Weed Killer and have been shown to have uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma um, because there's been communication between the EPA directly with Bayer Monsanto on subjects surrounding keeping Roundup out of the limelight. So, and just even more recently, Thailand actually banned the use of glyphosate, but there was a huge amount of pressure put on it by the US government to, to stop that ban. And within six months, that ban was actually turned around. So glyphosate, sure, if everyone's aware of this, but it is really the base chemical for the entire industrial agriculture industry. So as a whole industrial agriculture industry has been based on one single chemical, it's pretty obvious that there will be massive political pressure to, to support the chemical uh, and thus to support the industry. And that's why there's so much focus on it now, because people have started to realize that, you know, industrial agriculture causes problems with climate change, causes problems with health. And therefore, there is a, you know, there is much more conversation than there was five years ago, because glyphosate has been been kind of put where it should have been, which is as one of the base chemicals for the industry. And as the awareness grows, I think that uh, the politics will, will also change. Hopefully. I just want to ask, why do you suppose the United States cares about Thailand? Is it because Monsanto is an American brand? They're going to lose a lot of money if countries like Thailand start to ban it? Uh, the reason specifically in Thailand is because they were going to put levels of glyphosate for imports. So they were only going to have, allow certain maximum residue levels in imports from America. And because Thailand is an important uh, market for American farmers, therefore wanted to support, you know, the soybean growers and other, other types of crops for their exports into Thailand. Every single time where there is talk in, within a country of putting maximum residue le levels which are lower than the rest of the world on glyphosate or even saying we don't want levels of glyphosate in the crops or in the food that's coming in, the American government gets involved because they offer the support for a large group of farmers a lot in the Midwest. How do food companies and dietary supplements stack up when it comes to getting glyphosate residue-free certification? Is one more into it than the other? Yeah, I mean, at the beginning, I would say that dietary supplements were the first to show interest, probably because of their health issues. And obviously, dietary supplements concentrate a lot on human health. But now, I'd say it's 50-50 it's between food brands and dietary supplements. Uh, regarding the interest. And we've seen, we've seen a growth, for example, in the oat milk uh, groups with companies like Oatly, Chobani and others um, having become certified recently. And, and it seems to come in waves of different groups of types of products. So uh, we've had groups of honey brands, groups of dietary supplements and groups of, for example, uh, baby foods recently who have all been going through that certification. Uh, which is interesting to watch different markets start to notice glyphosate more and more. What about the role of glyphosate-free certification in hemp and, and CBD production? Well, glyphosate isn't meant to be sprayed on hemp. 
generally it's not meant to be sprayed on, on on hemp as a crop however hemp is an amazing crop it's because of its ability to suck up from the soil toxins so environmental toxins going into hemp is a huge issue and glyphosate being one of those toxins that gets sucked up by the plant into the final product so even if it's not sprayed on the crop itself if it's in the soil it can be sucked up by the crop and that's why yeah we've we, we have seen a few, quite a few brands actually going through certification over the past year and a half from even from the small ones to slightly larger ones now getting certified both both cbd and, and general hemp supplements have been um, showing an interest i think that's because there's definitely a, a health focus with with hemp products yeah, and a health focus overall, I would say, from a consumer standpoint, is this certification stamp something consumers are now looking for on their bottles, or are there just so many certifications and labels and stamps and things that consumers are just, at this point, overwhelmed? Yeah, I mean, this may sound really weird, but um, I'm not a huge supporter of, of certifications as a whole, just because of the huge number of certifications out there and the confusion they cause. So we thought really hard before bringing glyphosate residue-free certification to the market because of the, the number of certifications out there. I think it's very important for consumers to educate themselves on which certifications are important to look out for specifically and not to therefore get confused by a vast number of certifications. So I think education on certification is a very, very important part of the process when you're looking to educate consumers as a whole. And that's not just from the certifier's point of view, but also from the brand's point of view. So the brands should be focusing, we believe, on the most important certifications for them rather than just the number of certifications that they can fit on their packaging. And it's a, a focused certification, I think, is the key in this uh, department. And uh, also looking at um, farm-to-brand metrics so that they can trace their supply chains and be as transparent as possible. I think probably the next step, which will even maybe push some certifications out of the market. Full traceability is something that we really support as much as possible and something that actually as a company, separately from the certification, we've invested heavily in supporting the traceability market so that brands can make reliable, non-greenwashing claims as much as possible. When it comes to figuring out which labels and certifications are most important, whose responsibility is it? Do you think that consumers need to educate themselves or do you think that brands should be out there telling consumers what they should be on the lookout for? Yeah, I, I think it's a joint responsibility from the brands and consumers for education. I think consumers need to be aware that the certification market has got very large now. So there's lots of different certifications out there and therefore they actually before they go to the grocery store, they should be looking online as to what different certifications mean in reality and which ones are important to them. But the brands themselves have a huge responsibility to not use too many certifications to focus on the ones that their specific consumers need and also to do as much outward education as they possibly can on why they have selected those certifications to be important and why they encourage transparency for their brand meaning that they're not you know for, for example just putting the word natural on their product doesn't mean anything to anyone and they should be supporting the important certifications for them through that education process so it's yeah definitely joint responsibility on this Okay. 
one certification is non-GMO. And I think a lot of consumers want to know, does non-GMO mean it is glyphosate free or how do you make that distinction? Sure. So non-GMO has been a wonderful project and other non-GMO certifications out there, which have led the way into making a huge percentage of the US population interested in certifications. That's a wonderful thing that they've done. They have slightly misted the waters to some degree from the point of view of organic, because obviously organic means grown without chemical pesticides, whereas non-GMO does not mean grown without chemical pesticides. And specifically, it doesn't mean that glyphosate has not been used on that crop. So glyphosate is often used on non-GMO crops, such as wheat, oats, pulses, fruits, vegetables. Glyphosate is used on all of these things, which are then labeled as non-GMO. Just to give you a few pointers as to why that is. So non-GMO focuses people's minds on genetic modification. So the main crops that are genetically modified could be things like soya and corn. And they are grown with a number of different times in the year being sprayed with glyphosate. So the glyphosate builds up in those products. So since GMOs were introduced, the amount of glyphosate being used has multiplied a number of times. But Glyphosate is also sprayed on all of those non-GMO products, uh, non-GMO crops, such as, as I mentioned, wheat, oats, pulses, etc. And they are usually sprayed, for example, just before harvest. So within the two weeks before harvest of a crop, uh, glyphosate is sprayed on them to ripen the crop quicker or to dry out the crop and to enable it to be harvested. And therefore, because it's sprayed very close to harvest, it is likely that that glyphosate will get into the final product that people eat. So yeah, to answer your question very shortly, it is used a lot on non-GMO crops. So non-GMO certification does not cover this issue at all. And then looking at the GMO, you know, it, it does have a bad reputation. A lot of people think that it's unhealthy or unsafe. You said glyphosate is used more on GMO crops. So is that why it has a bad rep or is there any connection with that or is that a separate issue? Yeah, there are two main issues uh, with GMOs. One is the actual genetic modification of the crop itself. So there have been very few long-term studies on the health effects of the actual genetic modification, the changing of the DNA of the crop. So that's one issue. And the second issue is the herbicides that the GMO crop is designed to be grown with. So glyphosate is the main herbicide that most GMOs are designed to be grown with. I think it's 70 to 80% as I mentioned. So most GMOs are designed to be grown with glyphosate Roundup. So for that reason, there are two main issues with GMOs and glyphosate is one of the main serious issues regarding possible health effects on the GMO front. But if you took glyphosate and the herbicides out of the equation. There hasn't been long-term studies on GMOs that we need to make specific health claims. And we obviously need to use the precautionary principle when it comes to GMOs as a whole. Thank you for clearing that up. There's a lot of layers that we need to peel back with that. And I think a lot of people, including myself, just find it confusing. It is. It is confusing. So you're in Bulgaria. How did you get involved in this glyphosate world as it relates to the United States? 
Sure. So, I mean, I'm from a family who's been interested in the subject of toxic chemicals for many generations. So that really actually became a journalist after leaving school. So concentrating on pesticides and other issues surrounding chemicals. So really the focus came from my, both my family history and my work regarding starting to concentrating on the US because I like to describe it as, as ground zero when it comes to pesticides. There's a huge amount of pesticides used in the US. There are some huge issues generally surrounding the companies, uh, a lot of them being based in the US, which are producing these pesticides. So we focused a lot on the US market and the picture of the US because it affects the rest of the world a lot. And so it's kind of the root of the problems, although there are other countries which are the root as well, especially with Bayer now uh, being a German company. But also, I mean, this is affecting the global market. So we see growing interest in specific European countries, Germany, the UK, when it comes to glyphosate issues, but also other pesticide issues as a whole. And a lot of that is becoming because of that concentration in the US on the matter, that's spreading through social media, etc., to other parts of the world. And we've seen that happening quite quickly. There has been a focus on pesticides for, I'd say, probably longer, especially health effects in the EU as a whole. But now the food brands are catching up with that as well. There's more uh, rigorous testing done in the European Union than there is in, in the US. Where I'm based, being in Bulgaria, there's probably less problems than in a lot of other EU countries. But there are obviously similar problems uh, in agriculture with the use of pesticides. It's just there's less glyphosate than in, in some other countries in the EU. But I think the focus has to be on the US and North America to solve the problems because, you know, that is one of the main sources of the problem in the first place. So like we talked about, a lot of countries like Thailand, although they reversed it uh, around the world, have banned or restricted glyphosate use. Some stores have pulled the product off the shelf. Do you see a world that is 100% glyphosate free? It's a really difficult question and, and something probably at the beginning of this work, I would have said that's the total aim, but farmers have a very difficult time of it. And actually from a, a family farm myself, so I, I know the problems surrounding farming and, and the difficulty of the job. One of the main problems is that the non-chemical alternatives to glyphosate, such as electric weeding, robot weeding, weeding using foam, have, have not been concentrated on or funded at all over the last 20 years. And so Farmers who are not organic have very few alternatives when it comes to weed control. And when we talk to people in France where there's a phase out going on at the moment and specifically farming groups and in Germany where they're also thinking of phasing out now, the problem that always comes back is the lack of alternatives. And so farmer education and a lot of concentration on, on funding the alternatives, the non-chemical alternatives to weed control are something that governments actually have to get involved with themselves and also industry to enable farmers to be able to phase out from the use of glyphosate. One thing that is very easy for farmers to do is to stop the pre-harvest desiccation and that period before harvest of uh, using glyphosate. That is actually an off-bottle and not a recommended use of glyphosate anyway. And it is one of the main reasons that it's getting into our food. So that is certainly one thing that can lead to very little glyphosate getting into the food supply if farmers go back to their to drying their crops in a more traditional manner, which was only happening 15, 20 years ago. 
pretty much 100% of farmers use more traditional ways of drying their crops. So it's not something that's difficult to go back to. But on the front of 100% glyphosate-free world, that is an overall aim, but will take quite a lot of time to reach. And the farmers need supporting in that process to be able to phase out over a period of time. And obviously that will affect global public health as well, which would be great if we can phase out and, and involve all of the parties that need involving. So that includes the government, the industry funding new innovations for alternatives. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that has started at last in the European Union. Um, there are some big grants going into different types of uh, non-chemical weed control. So I hope within the next 10 years that they become major players in the weed control arena and uh, push chemical herbicides out of the market altogether. So what's next for the detox project? Anything that you're working on that you can tell us about? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, alongside the certification, which we aim to grow over the next couple of years um, internationally, because as we've said, we focus a lot on the US and North America market, but we've just started to focus on the more international market in the EU, Australia, South America, and also China and Japan quite a lot recently. We make this uh, certainly an international certification. Also, we're putting funding into uh, growing our scope of testing for the general public because we also test people for long-term exposure to pesticides using using hair testing which is one of the only hair testing projects in the world for long-term exposure and to find out what you are regularly exposed to as a as a consumer so that's one thing that we're putting a lot of time and energy in is to expanding that globally we haven't done a lot of that testing in the u.s yet but we will be over the next year and one thing that's important about long-term exposure is long-term exposure to small amounts is the most dangerous thing uh, when it comes to pesticides in general so something that we're concentrating on there's a big difference between poisoning which means you know you have a massive exposure to a chemical in one day by mistake or you spray yourself with it by mistake or there's in some way you get exposed to a large amount that will lead, obviously, to very, very big problems with your health straight away in the next, next few days after exposure. However, we're obviously surrounded by hundreds of thousands of chemicals, and, or, or should I say most people probably exposed to uh, tens of thousands of chemicals. And although we are exposed to all of those chemicals, a lot of them, because we're only exposed to very small amounts, uh, and not regularly and not over a long term are not dangerous to us. So it's only the chemicals that we're taking in small amounts of regularly, for example, every day or a few times a week where it's being exposed to something and regularly over a long period of time that cause significant health effects over the long term. So through identifying the few chemicals that you are regularly exposed to, it actually gives you the ability to try and avoid those few chemicals and therefore avoid long-term health effects. So that's something we've concentrated on a lot. I think it empowers people to, who say, oh God, we're surrounded by all of these chemicals every day. Isn't it terrible? And it kind of shuts off the mind because what can you do about it? Well, if you find out the exposure to those few chemicals, usually a handful of chemicals or even lower um, that you're exposed to every day, then therefore you can actually do something about that and try and avoid those specific ones. Uh, which will lead to health effects. And that's where hair testing helps a lot. That is a fascinating fact and something that we should all keep in mind. Keep me posted on the, the hair testing when it comes to the United States. Sure. It's already there for the last few weeks. So I, I, can, I can, of course, keep you posted on that. Absolutely. 
Henry Rollins, director of the Detox Project. From one journalist to another, thank you so much for coming on the NutraCast today. Thank you very much indeed. It's been a pleasure. If you like what you just heard, you can subscribe to the NutraCast on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher. You can also head to NutraIngredients-USA.com for even more Nutra-related content. Thank you so much for joining me. I'm Danielle Masterson. As always, I'll catch you here on the NutraCast next week.